Welcome to episode 350 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. It's a little-known fact that this podcast was my leadership project while I was in a year-long program run by Lead Boston. We were each asked to create a project that would have a positive impact. I'd been considering hosting a podcast, and making this commitment helped me push past all the mental and technical hurdles and get the show launched. I made that commitment over eight years ago in the summer of 2015, and the show went live a year later. I remember being so nervous about interviewing that I kept the camera off for my first 10 interviews. I knew I'd be, you know, staring at my interview questions instead of looking at my guest. These days, I keep my eye on the camera because we're live streaming and I no longer rely on written questions. Interviewing is a skill and I feel fortunate I had the opportunity to develop mine with the patience of my early guests. 350 episodes later, I'm often interviewing a guest, like today's guest, who's been interviewed by mainstream media and popular podcasts. I must be doing something right. My show is one of the top 2% most popular shows out of over 3 million shows globally, ranked by Listen Score. 350 episodes means there are hundreds of incredible interviews to dig into in the archives at ontheschmooze.com or wherever you're listening to this show. A new episode is released every Tuesday. If you're just getting started with a podcast or anything new, remember, don't judge yourself based on the first three times you try something, but on the last three times. Keep at it and you'll get better too. Next, a word from our sponsor, and then we'll dive into this week's interview. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Today's guest knows that if you want to help people, they need to know you exist. She's a publicity and marketing strategist for visionary entrepreneurs, experts, and authors who want to impact millions with their message. Referred to as a powerhouse of publicity and marketing genius by none other than Marie Forleo, New York Times bestselling author and the founder of B-School, she's helped clients and students get featured in places like O, The Oprah Magazine, Forbes, and Inc., and land interviews on popular podcasts and national TV. Her clients have become industry leaders with seven-figure businesses, raving fan bases, and hundreds of thousands of followers. She's been featured in magazines and websites like Forbes, Fast Company, Inc., Business Insider, Entrepreneur Success, and The Huffington Post. She's been a guest on podcasts like Entrepreneur on Fire, Smart Peasant Income, and Mixedry. Please join me in welcoming Selena Sue. Welcome, Selena. Hey, Robbie. I'm so honored to be here. 
Thanks for joining us from your place in San Juan, Puerto Rico. You have an impressive background, and I'm excited to sort of dive into who you are and how you became the person we know you as today. As you know, this is a show about building strong networks, and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership, and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's such a great question. It's also a really big question because I don't think that leadership is just one thing. Um, you know, leadership is about who you are. It's about your values. It's about um, providing direction and inspiration for others. It's about helping people reach their goals. Um, but, you know, one thing that I will say is like leadership is definitely about, you know, your relationship with other people, but it also just starts from within and your values and your personal integrity and how you show up in the world. Yeah, I can see how it's sort of an internal leadership and then how you relate that out to the rest of the world. When did you start to realize you had some of those skills? Sure. Yeah, I didn't really think of myself as a leader, you know, early on in my career. I saw myself as this behind the scenes um, person that was really good at executing. Um, you know, when I was at Columbia University as an undergrad, I worked at different nonprofits and just took on different um, positions over the years. And people would tell me, you know, you're like the best employee we've ever had. And so I knew I was like a good behind the scenes worker um, who would like execute on things and make things happen. But I didn't really see myself as an entrepreneur or a business leader. And I think over time, as I've kind of grown my business and I've served groups of people in my programs, and you know, when you're running a business, you have to make a lot of leadership decisions. Uh, I think I realized as other people reflected it back to me and they would say things like, um, you know, I really appreciate how you show up with so much integrity, how you do the right thing when things are tough, when no one is looking, when people would say to me, your personal story inspired me so much that I realized, you know, I could do this too. So one thing that I identify as is being introverted. I also identify as being highly sensitive, right? Things just like affect me. I feel things more deeply. And there've been times in my life where I wished, you know, I wish I wasn't so, you know, introverted. I wish I wasn't so sensitive. I wish I could just, you know, power through and not be affected by all these things around me. But the thing is, um, you know, with every kind of characteristic, every characteristic can be both a strength and a weakness, right? So it's some, it can be a weakness when it's um, an over-functioning strength. But I would say, you know, with my introversion, there's so many gifts and benefits, right? One of the things that is a benefit is I slow down and I think about things really carefully and thoughtfully and very intentional before I take action. And then I think, you know, being someone that identifies as a sensitive person is I'm not just thinking about myself. I'm thinking about how does this affect other people? How would I feel if I was in their shoes? And I'm really careful and thoughtful about my communication because I think words really matter. Um, I heard Michelle Obama once, I think it was in her documentary, and she was, um, you know, talking about how, you know, words do matter, words and tone, right? Words can start a war, <laughs> you know, words can create peace and bring people together. And so I do think my introversion and sensitivity have been factors in that have, that have helped me become a good leader. Absolutely. It's interesting because you have a somewhat larger than life personality as far as how you've messaged yourself, people know who you are, how you show up in the world. But you you have this sort of, you know, first of all, you you started out as a behind the scenes person. 
Um, so it is remarkable that you're in front of the camera, right? Like yeah. that, that, that that's a, it's going to be an interesting conversation to find out how you made that shift, but yeah. I appreciate how you weave in how your, um, your identity as an introvert and highly sensitive person is a really, it's not a hindrance necessarily to the leadership, but actually factors in, in a positive way. It gives you tools that someone else, like I always say, you know, I'm, I'm an outgoing extrovert, so I could just be talking, 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 but like, <laughs> I'm thinking as I'm doing it, but I'm not, I'm not having a quiet moment where I'm processing okay. and then saying the brilliant thing. And I do think there's a, about creating space for those quieter people to say the brilliant thing. Um, I want to dive back even deeper though, into your history. Cause you were starting to talk about your early days and nonprofits, which is interesting. Cause that's my background too. But if we wind the clock further back, what were you like on the playground? What were you like in, in school? You know, did you organize friends? Were you sort of behind the scenes then watching the crowd? Did your teachers see that sort of potential in you the way later employers did? Did you run for school office or get involved with extracurricular activities? Like what kind of kid were you? Yeah, I mean, so I grew up in Hong Kong. I grew up in Asia. And I would say that, you know, culturally things are different in Asia, right? Um, I remember when I moved to the United States, um, I was kind of stunned. You know, I went to this boarding school and some of the, the girls there, not all, but some of them were sent to the boarding school because maybe they weren't like behaving at home or they were, you know, precocious and, um, you know, dating guys at a young age or doing drugs and things like that. So I was like kind of stunned because, you know, I'd come from Hong Kong and I was all about following the rules. And interestingly, I remember my mom reading um, or seeing a report card that my mom had and there was something um, a teacher said something about me like being a goody, not a goody two shoes. It wasn't quite like that, but it was something along those lines. I didn't even really like think of myself um, in that way. But I think I've always been someone that like, I guess the people pleaser in me, you know, I like to, um, you know, make sure that I'm not like rocking the boat, that I'm doing the right thing. So I did have like, you know, that part of my personality um, that that has stayed with me for a long time and even until today. Um, but yeah, I would say when I went to high school, I definitely felt like a fish out of water. Um, I, I just felt like out of place. I wasn't used to um, kind of like these boisterous personalities or even like students in class, like disagreeing or arguing or disrespecting teachers. Like that was, I, I just like, I didn't have any kind of reference point. I was like completely stunned. Um, not that that was always happening, but that would sometimes happen. And it just kind of threw me off. But you know, I found that in Hong Kong, I was ahead, uh, or I was like, I was pretty average in Hong Kong. But when I moved to the US, I was ahead of my peers in terms of math and some other classes. And then I kind of got excited, like, wow, I can actually be like the number one student. And so I kind of took on that identity and just became like this bookworm and really focused on getting really good grades. And I also played sports and things like that. And I ended up being the only person in my class um, that got into an Ivy League college. College. I, um, yeah, I was valedictorian. And so, yeah, that, that was kind of like how I showed up in those years. How old were you when you moved to the States? I was, um, when I was in the States, 14. 14. Oh, yeah. difficult time to make that kind of cultural shift. Um, totally. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're like, you're thrown into a high school, which is, you know, really different. Uh, from your your lived experience back in Hong Kong, and where in the states were you growing up at that time? 
Yeah. So my family moved from Vancouver to, uh, or so from Hong Kong to Vancouver, Canada. And then um, from there, I went to boarding school in Tacoma, Washington. Got it. Okay. So just kind of place and time. So here you are, 14. You have this sort of like wave, like rules are rules. Like we don't, we don't contest them. We don't fight with each other. The mm-hmm. world is suddenly not operating by those rules. Yeah. You realize though that academically you are, you're doing really well compared to some of your peers because you have the rigor, you have the training and you're willing to like dive deeper into that identity. And it's also like, it gives you something to focus on. It sounds like in, in a world that was less, I don't know, organized, it was a little more chaotic. Was there a clear path? Like you talked about getting into an IV. Was there a clear path for you laid out by your family or by like uh, expectations that you had for yourself that you were going to go to college? Do you know what you wanted to be like at 13, 14 years old or was it still sort of being figured out? Yeah, I mean, I really had no idea. I just knew that I wanted to help people and do something that felt fulfilling where I was giving back. And so some of my early internships and early jobs were working at nonprofits, advancing causes like um, supporting underserved girls and helping them um, expand their career opportunities. And yeah, things things mostly in the like the nonprofit and women's um, realm. And then I also started to work for, um, you know, different women's organizations that were for profit as well. But I've always had a big passion for helping all people people, um, but definitely a special place in my heart for women and really helping them unlock their potential. Yeah, very mission driven. What was the degree that you got from from your school? Yeah, so I studied women's studies um, at Columbia, as well as East Asian studies. And I felt like, well, both in college, well, in high school and in college, like most of my academic papers all revolved around, you know, female and male power dynamics. Um, So, yeah, I was very interested in, you know, feminism. When I was in high school, I was reading books like um, The Beauty Myth by Naomi Wolf. I remember reaching out to her at one point. It might have been after Uh, high school. And she was stunned because there were people in law school who were reading, you know, her various books, and I was like familiar with them. So yeah, definitely had a very big passion in women's issues. um, You know, and and clearly I still do today. I love that you thought to reach out to the author. And then you actually did it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to remember why I was like in touch with her. I really don't remember. I don't know if maybe we were featuring her. I I had an internship at one point at women's magazine. So maybe we were featuring her there. I'm not sure. I would have to go back and, you know, look at my email. But yeah, I I did reach out. (laughs) That's awesome. And so, you know, you follow sort of the mission driven path into uh, nonprofit and mission driven for profits. Um, It sounds like you bounced around a bit. Like, what were the kind of yeah. roles that you had? Yeah, so I always worked in entrepreneurial environments. When I think about a nonprofit, you know, basically I think that they have no financial resources or very little, and you're just going to find a way to make things happen. Um, so it was kind of easy to transition from nonprofit into entrepreneurship because you just have to be very resourceful. But I would say that the areas that, um, you know, I got involved in career-wise would have been things that involved, whether it was like supporting and elevating women, um, creating, you know, professional networks of people, um, 
I briefly worked for a company that had student discount card and I had to recruit people from across the country to manage the student discount cards and secure local discounts. So again, it was like rallying, mobilizing and organizing people. So those were the types of things I would do. And then when I was in college, I worked for a female entrepreneur. She was looking to start her own personal brand and interview series because of my relationships from working at the nonprofit. Because the nonprofit that I worked at was called Step Up Women's Network. Um, It was founded by a talent agent in LA. So she had a lot of celebrity connections. And we had a lot of people on our board and junior board that worked in PR agencies. And so, you know, with our events, we had celebrities come to them like Jessica Alba, um, you know, was an ambassador of our nonprofit, um, you know, people at that level later after I left Selena Gomez was an ambassador. And so, you know, we would work with these celebrities, we would host these fundraisers, we would work with the PR firms to connect with, um, you know, high level brands and through our board members who are really connected. So brands like Equinox and Louis Vuitton, and um, get items, you know, that we could um, auction at our fundraisers and things like that. So I just had like a lot of relationships with different brands, um, luxury brands, and I didn't work directly with the celebrities, but, you know, I was, you know, a part of the team. And I also did a lot of work with, because my passion was media, connecting with top editors and um, media professionals in New York City and inviting them to our events as mentors, as well as other inspiring businesswomen. So I had this big network. And so when I worked with that entrepreneur and she was starting her interview series, I was able to kind of line up all the high profile people that she could interview. And then I also recruited like seven interns and kind of like ran her company with her. Um, So I did that over the summer and a little bit into the year. So yeah, those experiences, I think really primed me for entrepreneurship. I mean, that all seems like incredible, not just networking, but transformational skills that you were building. Uh, How did you get your very first uh, role? It sounds like you were still in college. Yeah, you had limited hours. How did you get your first foot in the door at that organization? Was that through a connection? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I'll have to go back in my email one day, but someone suggested that I get in touch with this um, you know, woman, her name's Claudia, and just thought that we would really hit it off and that maybe I would support her in some way. And so, you know, we met um, at this like Mexican cafe um, and you know, at the time, I didn't really see myself as an entrepreneur because I'd been working in a nonprofit. I'd been making $42,000 a year, which in New York City is not a yeah. lot of money. You were working there while in college? No, no. This was um, beforehand. So I was oh, working at okay. a nonprofit and then I left to go to business school. Got so I went it. To yeah. Business school. But, you know, I just kind of saw myself as a nonprofit employee and I didn't really, I guess, fully value my skill set. I didn't really know how my nonprofit skills were transferable. I didn't really know how I could really make that much more money. And that's why I went to business school because I wanted to expand you know, the opportunities that were available to me. And so it was really exciting for me to connect with a female entrepreneur who had grown a very successful business, uh, you know, a seven figure business. And for her to see my potential for us to work together and for me to contribute, contribute in meaningful ways to her company. So that kind of helped me see myself um, as, you know, more of an entrepreneur. I mean, I was still kind of 
you know, a little bit behind the scenes because she was the personal brand and I, I was happy. I wasn't looking to build my personal brand at the time. I really wanted to support her. Um, but yeah, those, those experiences really helped me expand my mind about what was possible for me. I could see how it can be hard. I mean, personally, coming from the nonprofit background, like when you're in that space, more making, you know, $42,000 a year, yeah. it's like, that's what you're doing. You feel like you're part of a good cause. You're doing your part. You're learning things. It's, it's good, but you don't, you don't immediately think, oh, I have all the skills now to be an entrepreneur and run my own business, but you are learning all those things. It sounds like as you were growing your network, you were also getting to meet a lot of entrepreneurs and I bet you just True. experiencing them, right? Witnessing what they were doing gave you a different perspective. Like I, kind of came up through those ranks of nonprofit without having the entrepreneur network right away. Yeah. And so it takes a little bit longer. I feel like anyone listening in, if you've got that nonprofit background, like go and think about all those transferable skills that you could apply. I will tell you that one for me was I didn't realize I had skills around sales because I'd been a nonprofit, but my background was fundraising and I was teaching people even how to fundraise and I'm like, Oh wait, I can ask someone for money just in exchange for goodwill. <laughs> oh, I guess I can do it in exchange for something of value that they would really want. Yeah. Um, but it's like that mindset that if you're not thinking of yourself as an entrepreneur. So um, when did you decide to leave sort of the, the different kind of job opportunities uh, and go into something that was more something that was created and directed by you? Or did you start first by like staying in a role within an entrepreneurship like like you said, like supporting someone else's brand and then step out. Like what was your stepping stone to where you kind of built your own business? Absolutely. So I was in business school for two years and I had, um, you know, been working with that entrepreneur, exploring other opportunities at, you know, my business school campus, the kinds of companies that would come and do these informational sessions were, you know, big consumer packaged good companies, corporate consulting companies, investment banks. And honestly, none of that appealed to me. I just had zero interest and it really wasn't my strength either. So they wouldn't really want to hire me. Um, but I just, I knew I had something and I had discovered um, someone named Ramit Sethi. He's got a book called, I Will Teach You To Be Rich. And so I read the book, absolutely loved it. Incredible personal finance book. And then I also um, joined a program of his called Earn 1K and it teaches you how to make your first $1,000 on the side. And so I took that program and I started to see, oh, you know, I could actually get clients. And when I graduated from business school, um, you know, I realized, I realized I could start my own business. I didn't know I could at first because I was in the U.S. on a visa. And, um, you know, typically you need to be employed by a company, but um, if you can set up the business in a certain way and so forth, then you can kind of like sponsor yourself. Um, and so once I figured out how to do that, then I was like, okay, I'm going to focus on my own business. And so, you know, Ramit's course Earn 1K was really helpful. And then from there, I took some other courses. There was one that a woman named Laura Roder had. It was called creating fame. And I really enjoyed that course. And inside that Facebook group, I met a woman named Kanisha. And, um, you know, Kanisha learned that I was passionate about publicity and had different connections to the media and was looking to support people in that way, um, you know, with publicity and marketing. And so she hired me. And so she was my very first client. 
And yeah, and then from there, I just kind of continued to grow the business and um, built relationships with some leading people in my industry um, by offering value and, you know, eventually getting testimonials before I even had an official business. So I was really fortunate early on. I had testimonials from people like Marie Forleo, Danielle Laporte, and also had people that I knew at places like Oprah Magazine um, and so forth offering me testimonials about, you know, who I was and how I supported them and so forth. So it happened very organically because it wasn't like I had this like, you know, very strategic game plan. Like I'm going to help someone here and then I'm going to get this from them. And then, you know, these are all the, the steps. Not that it's not a good thing to have a plan. I just was operating from my heart. Um, but I did know that, you know, when it came time to have my website, I should get some testimonials up on there. So yeah, that's, that's how I started my business. That's fascinating, just the evolution of your own thinking. And as you, you were in a business school setting, but still felt like there was more you could learn. How did you come across Ramit's uh, work? And by the way, I was in Ramit's Brain Trust and I owned oh. some of his programs back in 2015, 2016. So cool. Yeah, so, so I'm very familiar with his work, uh, not yeah. as familiar as you are, but how did you come across him initially? Like, was someone in your network suggesting it or part of it? Yes. Um, so this was before business school. This was when I was working at the nonprofit. I had a quarter life crisis and became clinically depressed and had trouble getting out of bed in the mornings and eating and just felt very lost in life. And I remember saying to a friend, you know, I cannot keep feeling this way. I've got to find a way to, to feel better. And that's when I learned about this female life coach. And um, I joined her group program with, you know, about a dozen other women and we would meet and we would learn about all these new ideas that really empowered us to take control of our thoughts, take control of our life. And so I learned about people like Marianne Williams, and Deepak Chopra and Louise Hay. And then I discovered, you know, more and more kind of like the, the more like modern entrepreneurs and thought leaders, some of them, you know, closer to my age. And, you know, as you start to get on email lists, you know, different people talk about their friends or the other books that they're reading and so forth. And eventually I somehow stumbled upon Ramit Sethi's work and it just really resonated with me you know, when he would share stories and talk about his philosophies, I was like, wow, I see a piece of myself in that, like that really resonates with me. And I remember thinking that, you know, with Rami and with all these incredible people that I was meeting, it's like when they teach these things, it literally transforms your life because you think about things in a different way. You see things in a different way. You act in a different way. You process things differently. And I just became so passionate about, you know, helping people that had a positive, you know, and powerful message, people that were role models who could transform people's lives, get their message out into the world. And I really felt that media was, you know, the fastest way to get that instant credibility and also a very powerful way for people to get in front of hundreds, thousands, or even millions of people who may have no idea that they even exist. Mm -hmm. I'm curious how you're, you earlier were talking about being an introvert and being a highly sensitive person. And you also, you know, had sort of this nonprofit, you know, worker identity. Mm -hmm. Did you have any reservations about networking and being amongst these sort of people who were you know, movers and shakers in this entrepreneurial world, or did you right away realize you had something to offer them? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good question. I mean, going back to Ramit. So I, you know, learned about his work, um, you know, as I started kind of exploring the world of like, you know, personal and professional development and entrepreneurship. 
Um, an interesting thing is when I was in business school, I was actually walking home from my summer internship and I, you know, was yeah, walking down the street, talking on the phone with my mom and out of the corner of my eye, I saw him on the street and he was letting his parents into a car. And um, I remember saying to my mom, I got to go. Right. And so even though I'm someone that's an introvert and, you know, and even if you're not an introvert for all of us, it can be scary to approach people that you admire and look up to. But I think a part of me knew, like, if I don't say hi, I'm going to regret it because who knows, it's not every day that you bump into someone like that. Right. And so I seize the opportunity. And that's one of my big principles when it comes to building relationships, expanding your network, connecting with the people that you admire. You don't wait for opportunities. You create opportunities. Right. So I created an opportunity. I just went up and I said, hello, shared that I was, um, you know, a student of his, I had read his book and we started a little conversation. He mentioned um, that, you know, his parents, um, and him and his sisters and brother had just been on a cruise and they were, you know, heading back to California. And I said something like, oh yeah, I remember you have two sisters in your chapter on savings. You talked about how they um, had two weddings each. Um, and I, I think, and I'm forgetting the details now, but I think maybe they had like an East coast wedding and a West coast wedding or something along those lines. And his jaw kind of dropped. He was kind of stunned that I remembered, um, those details from the book. And so, you know, that's, that was like our first conversation and he was hosting local meetups in New York city. So I would attend those meetups and I would meet other students of his. And um, that's where I met someone named Derek Halpern, um, who is another successful entrepreneur and his business has pivoted. But I got to meet all these really interesting people there. Um, so yeah, with your question about you know being an introvert, is it hard to approach people? I think, yeah, I think it's hard to approach people whether you're extroverted or introverted because I think that when we see people that we admire, we can put them on a pedestal. And I love this saying that the moment you put someone on a pedestal is a moment that they start looking down on you. So this isn't to say that we cannot, you know, recognize that someone is very successful and we're in a different place in our professional career, right? And, you know, some people are busier than others and so forth. But I think that sometimes when people approach others that they admire, they think, oh my gosh, they're everything and I'm nothing. Who am I to talk to them? Why would they even want to listen to me? Why would they even want to be around me? I'm wasting their time, right? When we have that mindset, when we think that they're everything and that where we have nothing to offer, we create this uneven playing field. But the truth is that as humans, well, we're all equal as humans. Um, but beyond that, you know, as individuals, as professionals, we have a lot to offer each other. And there's so many different ways that you can add and create value to people. And so I think that what has helped me is that I know that when I'm connecting with someone, I'm coming from a really genuine place where I see something in the person that I really appreciate, that I'm inspired by them, and that I'm the kind of person that if I'm in relationship with someone, people are going to benefit from that. I'm going to be giving and pouring into the people I care about. And, you know, oftentimes, I mean, every relationship is different, but I would say overall, I generally give a lot more than I receive. Um, that's actually like the balance that feels good to me. And so I know like if someone's connecting with me um, and as we get to know each other better over time, good things are going to happen for that person and for me too. And I, I also, for me, this is one of my, another one of my core principles when it comes to building relationships is this idea that the act of giving or the, the opera, why am I not, I don't have the right words right now, but basically 
the the act of giving, the opportunity to contribute to someone's life is the reward. So I'm not looking at, you know, some big influencer that I admire. And I'm like, I've got this like whole game plan about I'm going to do this thing. You know, some people talk about this idea of like the reciprocity bank. It's like a, a new idea that I've heard. And I understand where they're coming from. Um, but I just think differently. It's not about like, how do I make all these deposits? And then it's like this imbalance. They feel like they have to give back to me. There's plenty of people I've helped that frankly, I, I even forget that I've helped them because I've just been helping so many people. That's like my way of being. And I just know it kind of comes back. But I think that with influential people, when they can feel you're a safe person, you're happy to give and you don't have all these like complicated strings attached and you're going to come out of nowhere and like expect things, then they can feel safe in receiving. And then for myself, knowing the act of giving was the reward. So I don't need to get all these things back for that. I love these principles you have around relationship building and engagement and how you think about giving and receiving. It's incredibly healthy, and I hope a lot of people were taking notes and refer back to what you just said, because I think it was a good lesson in that. And I'm I'm still like, how do you get to that point, right? Like you're there now, yeah. Um, and you and you and you didn't hesitate. You seized the opportunity to go up to Ramit and talk to him, and you wowed him because you knew specific details about his work. So that's one of the things I'll pull away from the conversation is when you're thanking someone, being really specific about what they have taught you. Or, or when you're saying, I like your work, if you'd be really specific about what you like about it, just mem remembering something, it's yeah. mu it'll mean so much more. I mean, I'm sure by that point, he had received lots of thanks, lots of very general, you're great, right? But you, right. you holding that space to have a real conversation with him about his family, which is of particular importance to him and remembering the detail in his book. I mean, I just feel like you probably made a profound impact in that moment that you could have gone up to him and sort of squandered the moment by just like fanning mm. and being like, let's take a selfie, <laughs> you know, like, oh, right. um, yeah, and then like I mean, posting it on your website, like I know Ramit, <laughs> you know, and like, you don't actually know each other. Mm. Um, yeah. So you have a very, uh, I mean, the words authentic and genuine are sort of overused. So, so that's sad, but like you have a, an approach that people don't feel uh, that they're being played in some way. Um, I'm curious as you were building your business, because, you know, for you, you, it feels like you had the right mindset. You had gr a great network, your Rolodex of like contacts in, in different media industry, um, was really there. You had started to attract the right kind of client, um, pools, if not like clients, you were, you were in the right space where like the prospects that you would want to work with were probably people you were in relationship with through one group or another. What was the challenge for you as you shifted into it being your own company? Like, did you have to build a team in order to take care of certain pieces of the business part? You know, was it that you expanded so quickly? Like, what was it that you were like, oh, we got to like right the ship a little bit before we can have smooth sales? I mean, there's so many things involved in having a successful business. Um, so I'll say that the first initial things were, you know, finding the right people to learn from, right? Just having that business foundation. And so I got that from Vermeet. I also took courses from other people as well. So I got that business foundation. And then I noticed that some friends of mine were all part of this mastermind. They were all sharing on social media that they had a you know, six-figure business. And I was like, wow, like, I wonder how I could do that. That was beyond, you know, the realm of possibilities in my mind. And so I learned that they were all working with a coach. And so I had a um, 
discovery call with that coach. Um, they were all in a mastermind program and she shared, you know, the, the mastermind opportunity with me. And it was a lot of money. It was $27,000. Good news. There was a payment plan. So it was, you know, smaller amounts per month after the deposit was about like, it was under $2,000 a month. Um, I just knew for myself that I was smart and I had a lot of potential, but I just needed a game plan. I needed someone to show me like, what are the steps that I take in what order? Um, what should my offerings look like? What should the price points look like? Like someone to give me that direct feedback and someone the mastermind an opportunity to get direct feedback from the coach, but also to be a part of a community of other entrepreneurs that were striving from, for big things. And it was great because outside of working with a coach, I could also meet up with my colleagues and we could practice how to have a sales conversation together. I could run ideas with by them. And so having that network um, and, you know, being in that mastermind, having that, that coach and network was really critical. And then from there, I mean, you know, other things have been, you know, I was more comfortable behind the scenes, helping other people get visible. I had to make the decision that I was going to put myself in the spotlight and I was going to get on podcasts and um, write guest posts and do and speak, you know, in people's group programs and put myself out there. So that was really key for even more people knowing that I existed and growing my audience, getting people into my initial programs. Um, and then after that, I started building, um, well, I started building a team because there's so much to do in business. You can't do every single thing yourself. Otherwise you're losing a lot of money if you don't bring on a team. It doesn't have to be full time. It could be, you know, hourly contractors and, you know, then you can expand as it makes sense. And then after that, I started building relationships and partnerships with other entrepreneurs who would become affiliates um, for my programs. They would promote people. And so we would win together. We would both, you know, generate revenue, earn good money when we'd have people join my particular programs. So yeah, those are some of the key things that really allowed my business to take off. I mean, it's really, and it's the framework that I teach publicity partnerships and promotions. So publicity, you know, we're talking visibility here. We're talking about raising your profile, being seen as that go-to expert, that celebrity in your industry. And there's a lot of ways that you can become that authority and celebrity. One way is to write a book and I'm in the process of writing one right now, but for the average person, they're not going to write a book right away. It takes a lot of time. It can also cost quite a bit of money, you know, growing an Instagram following and having tens of thousands of people that can take a really long time, but getting a media win, um, you know, guest posting, podcasting, or connecting with an entrepreneur and speaking to their mastermind group or group program. I also put that in the category of publicity of, you know, being featured on other people's platforms. Um, I think that's, you know, one of the faster ways to, to create that celebrity and authority factor, which we all need in our business. And then, then the number two is, as I was saying earlier, so publicity and then partnerships, it's collaborating with people who are working with your ideal clients, getting in front of buyer audiences, getting a win-win, and then promotions, the way the third P, the way I define that is having offers that you love and then having a process to enroll people into those offers. So knowing how to launch your offers. Oh my gosh. Thank you for dropping all of that knowledge right there and sharing us that framework. What year was it that you decided to commit to that mastermind? Yeah, so I started my business. I mean, you know, we incorporated in March of 2022. I graduated in May. So I started the business officially in June. Um, and then it was January of 2023 that I started my time in the mastermind. This year? 
January of oh, 20, 2013. Sorry. That's what I thought you meant 10 years I ago. I can't talk right now. But yeah, yeah 2012 and then 2013, January. Yeah. Wow. So I wasn't even like a full year into business. So it was a little bit, um, you know, definitely I took some big risks. I was going to think about how do you make that decision? $27,000 today is a lot of money. Uh, 10 years ago when you had, you know, a nonprofit salary, you didn't have a ton of savings, perhaps like you were supporting yourself, you're investing money and time and effort and energy into building this business. But I think because you had the network who had proven like through their lived experience that this was valuable, it was a probably like, it was a risk, but it was an educated risk, right? Like it wasn't like someone just sold you through a Facebook ad and you didn't know who these people were. Yeah, I mean, so when you think about $27,000, that's about $2,000 a month. And I wasn't paying all that money at once. I was, you know, I was definitely on the payment plan. Um, and when you think about it, like if you're, you know, my coach saw my potential. And if you're looking to build a business that's six figures, multi six figures or beyond, like let's say you're growing a $300,000 business, you're making, you know, between 20 or $30,000 a month. What to spend $2,000 to be able to make twenty yeah. to $30,000 a month is worth it. And then once you learn all those strategies, whether or not you choose to continue in the mastermind, you take that with you, you know, so you always have that knowledge. So the sooner you join the mastermind, the group program, the sooner you're going to be making that money. Um, so yeah, if we look at the, the sum total, like $27,000, oh my gosh, you know, that's so much money. Um, but I also knew that just trying to figure things out on my own was not going to lead me to success. There were all these ways I was self-sabotaging in my business. You know, I, I lacked boundaries with certain clients. And so even just having at times one client felt overwhelming. <laughs> I didn't have the right kind of business model. I didn't know how to price my things. I didn't know how to create scalable offer, like so many different things. Right. So yeah, $2,000 a month, but I have a coach and I have an entire network of entrepreneurs. And I also have like a system and game plan to reach my goals. So it's definitely a big amount, no doubt about that. But for me, yeah. when I thought about what was possible, it was really worth it. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing sort of like all the things you weren't sure about and how you found a way to, to get that information, um, both by finding the right coach, finding the right community and network to support you. Speaking of community and network, you know, when I think about networking, I think about, you know, there's an inner circle of people, you know, you're going to stay in touch with. And yeah. then there's the folks that you, you know, maybe see once a year at a conference, you work with them five years ago, but you haven't had a reason to since you like and enjoy each other's company. Yeah. Uh, how do you think about nurturing and sustaining those kinds of weaker connections, any habits, philosophies, practices? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about it. So I would say that the number one thing that you should be doing is building your personal brand. Because, you know, I think about, you know, my email list, my social media profiles, and so forth. Every time I publish something, I'm actually building a relationship because I'm revealing something about myself, whether I'm sharing a personal story, or sharing just, you know, information about what I'm up to. Um, or people are even just seeing me put my work out into the world. And they, you know, can see that I do things with like uh, a high level of excellence and that I do things th thoughtfully and beautifully, right? All of that is building your personal brand. So there are plenty of people that I haven't talked to, but they're on my newsletter list. They're, you know, watching my Instagram stories. They're commenting on my Facebook posts. Um, and so at this point, I, yeah, I let me think. 
I'm just thinking about like all of my, my email lists and like the open rates and all of that. But yeah, I mean, there's like tens of thousands of people, essentially, like if I write something, whether they're getting it over email or they're seeing it on social media organically, right. There's, you know, tens of thousands of people that are taking in something about me and feeling like they're getting to know me better. And, you know, as you express yourself more fully, the right people are going to get, you know, feel more connected. Like I see a little piece of myself in you, or, or maybe we're different, but I'm inspired by how you do things in that particular way. And I can learn from you. So, you know, we can be nurturing relationships on a weekly basis, just by building our personal brand and sharing our thought leadership. You have a list of folks that you are specifically reaching out to one-on-one or is it more organically as you think of them? Yeah, I have to be you know, honest about this. So a lot of you would think, you know, Selena, networking is your superpower. You must have like a list and a system. And I actually don't. Um, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I, I would actually recommend that for many people. For me, it's just like very organic and intuitive. Um, I will say that when I was doing things like affiliate launches, yes, I had a spreadsheet of who was participating in the affiliate launch because I obviously need to know that, right? We need to support them and nurture them and get them their marketing assets to promote the launch. So I had that and, you know, we, we would obviously be regularly in touch because, you know, we're doing this launch together. We're, we're you know, creating these seven-figure launches as a community. But but I don't have a spreadsheet where I'm like, okay, you know, here's a list of 50 people and, and every month I need to do this thing to get on their radar and this and that. Um, not a bad thing though, because, you know, sometimes people think, is it like inauthentic for me to have, you know, these lists and these organizational systems. And the thing is, you know, we create organizational systems around the things that matter to us. Right. And it does help us get more done. So perhaps if I had all those things in place, I could be doing even more to like nurture my network, but Right now, what I'm doing is like more than fine. And I've built a million dollar network for myself. So I think it's just important for people to do what feels right for them. And so when I come, you know, when I have my book, I'm going to outline different strategies. But I'm very much a person who's not like, there's only one way to be successful. You have to follow this exact thing. And if you don't follow this, you're not going to be successful because you didn't listen to me. That's like the opposite of my personality. I will share like, this is what I've done. This is what, you know, I recommend based on your situation. But I'm also very much about empowering people to make their own decisions and everyone knows their own business best they know their own values best they know their own preferences best um but no i don't have like you know a, a spreadsheet and system that i use to build my relationships you know i just so appreciate getting to hear a little bit more about how you tick and and how you show up in the world is actually who you are which is part of the like being being in alignment with that with that personal brand and about to ask you my favorite wrap-up question before we do let's hear a quick word from our sponsor okay my favorite wrap-up question is a year from now we are connecting again and i i know we're going to stay in touch because i'm going to be following up with you about your book <laughs> make okay. sure you stay on target with that we'll hear more about that in a moment um but i i will be excited to know a year from now when i check in with you like what are you going to be celebrating? What, what are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Yeah, well, I'm going to be celebrating. So one of the things that I'm really passionate about right now is building my team, right? So 
I, I, I care a lot about people. I care about relationships, but also the people on your team. They're part of your million dollar network. They're the people that help you make big things happen. I'm in a place right now where I just freaking love everyone on my team so much. They are just such kind hearted, pure hearted people. They're so easy to work with. Um, and there's just so much ease. And that hasn't always been the case. Sometimes, you know, there's been just more challenging situations, um, personalities that are just a little harder to deal with maybe some abrasiveness, maybe even some emotional volatility. And um, given my sensitive nature, don't like that at all. Um, but right now I'm really at a place where everyone on my team, you know, takes ownership. They're amazing. I love working with them. I'm so excited to see what we can grow together. So yes, I, I will be celebrating all the things in my business. But I also know that none of these things are going to be possible without my team. That's fantastic. And what what is the update for the book going to be a year from now? Yeah, I mean, this is this is really interesting because at one point I was all about, you know, going the traditional publishing route and I'm not sure I might go the hybrid publishing route. So we will see. Um, that's greatly going to affect timeline. So, you know, in the most ideal world, the book will be published sometime towards the end of 2024, but it really depends on what I decide to do for publishing. So TBD, um, but I know that you'll be one of the first to know. Absolutely. I want to be here supporting you all along the way. I can't wait to celebrate all your milestones. How can people find you and follow your work? Yeah, absolutely. So the best way to stay in touch and also to learn about my publicity work is to go to impactingmillions.com slash calendar. So it's impactingmillions with an S.com slash calendar. So one of the things I'm really passionate about is helping entrepreneurs get their message out into the world because you can have a successful business that people don't know that you exist. And so I've created this publicity calendar and it's basically 12 months worth of story ideas, special dates and hooks and strategies to help you get into the media because you know when you look at my 3p system the first p is publicity so it's going to really help you with publicity and even overall visibility people will print out this calendar and be like oh my gosh just help me mapped out like my social media content calendar my newsletter calendar for the year i've had you know people at all levels of business including eight figure entrepreneurs be like oh my gosh this is so valuable i've sent this to my marketing manager we're implementing this in our business um and i know people sometimes sell these calendars mine is a hundred percent for free so you can go to impactingmillions.com slash calendar to get your own publicity calendar. Brilliant. We'll put that link, a link to your website and to your Instagram, all at the website on the schmooze.com. Selena, thank you so much for this enlightening conversation. I just really enjoyed getting to know you. Thank you. It was my pleasure. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Selena. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 350. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance. I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who overcame challenges on their way to success. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership and entrepreneurial journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week.
Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.